share a message with you today entitled, I'm thankful that I'm Pentecostal. Let's say that together. I'm thankful I'm Pentecostal. There's all kinds of streams in Christianity. There's three big streams. There's Protestant, which has lots of substreams. There's Roman Catholic, and there's Orthodox. You could argue there's another stream called Anglican. And 99% of the Christian churches in the world fit under one of those four headings. There's all kinds of Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists and Episcopalians represented here. I was born and raised in the Lutheran church. And then I got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 18. Some of you were raised in a Baptist church, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're called Bapticostals. Any Bapticostals here in the room? How about Catholic Costals, Presbyterian Costals, Mennonite Costals? There's no cause. A lot of us are mixtures. We might have been in one stream for a while and now have been in another stream for a while, all under the banner of Christianity. Years ago, denominations were divisive. That has changed in many, many ways. Various denominations partnered together. New Life does not consider itself non-denominational. That word conjures up the idea that we're against denominations. Like, ooh, we're not that. We're non-denominational. We're better. We're not a We use the phrase, we're interdenominational. Because we do glean a lot of truth from various streams. For example, the Lord's Supper, we're very Lutheran because we practice the real presence. But in water baptism, we're very Baptist because we believe in adult Christian baptism. I appreciate churches that have liturgies and churches that don't have liturgies. All of us are a little bit of everything, and I'm going to encourage you today that all of us need to have a bit of Pentecostal, or you could call it charismatic, spirit-filled, full gospel. I could have said charismatic. I'm, I'm thankful in this Thanksgiving season that I'm charismatic, but I, I like the word Pentecostal because it's tied so clearly to Pentecost in the book of Acts. And the word's a little more striking than, than some of the other words like spirit-filled. The church began in Pentecost, signs and wonders and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, an apostolic church where anything could happen, a miracle working church. Now I consider myself not uneducated. I have a, a bachelor's degree and a, and a master's degree in church history, a master's degree in in uh, renewal theology, I have a doctrine of worship studies with an emphasis in theology. So I'm not uneducated. I like to use the phrase, I'm a Pentecostal or a charismatic with a brain. We don't have to be on the fringe to be a full spirited believer. Can I hear an amen to that? God's given us a brain and he expects us to renew it and to use it. 
I'm not superstitious, although I'm Pentecostal. I'm not anti-science, and yet I'm still Pentecostal. I'm not legalistic or blindly enthusiastic. I'm still a Pentecostal, and I'm fully a Pentecostal. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, Paul says this. When he came to Thessalonica, he says, For our gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God came to you not in Logos only. Now, Logos is a word that means uh, structured, organized, ordered. It means ordered. L words are a subset of the Logos. In the beginning was the word, the Logos. It's, it's a, it can be used for a word, but it's an it's a idea of an organizing principle. You could say it this way. He is saying here, the gospel didn't come to you just in talking or in organizing or in equipping classes. Those are all good. He didn't say they shouldn't. He said it didn't come to you only like that. The second half says, but it also came in dunamis and in the Holy Ghost. That's Pentecostal. We love to teach. We love to plan. We love to strategize. We've got Sunday school. We've got equipping classes. But that's not all we've got. We've got the dunamis, power of God, the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, deliverance and healing ministries, and we come in the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost is present, anything can happen. Can I hear an amen to that? Pentecostals have a little bit of this. What's going to happen next? What's God doing? That's why Pentecostals don't like to be restrained too much by liturgy. And every church has liturgy. I like liturgy. But Pentecostals are a little more spontaneous. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? You know what I used to preach years ago? I'd often preach from a text I got during worship. Dan, did you ever do that? You get a text in worship. So how much prep time do you have? Like, zero. But the word's inside you. And it's amazing, if you're called to preach, when you start preaching, stuff comes out. You didn't put it, you know, you didn't plan it, and it, it, you do a pretty good job. That's kind of being, Pente now, Pentecostal's not irresponsible, like, I'm not going to study. I'm just going to, I'm going to take this test at Reed University, I'm not even going to open a book. Because the Lord's going to use the word of knowledge to give me the answer. That's crazy. Boy, I wish that was the case. If you're a Pentecostal, you've got to train your brain. You've got to die to sinful passions. You have to walk a discipled life. But we'll do this all with the aid and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you eight things today why I'm grateful that I'm a bit Pentecostal. I'm also a bit Lutheran. I'm also a bit uh, Reformed. I'm a bit Arminian, too. I'm a mutt. I'm a theological mutt. There's good things in lots of different streams. But I will always be thankful that I'm a bit Pentecostal. Number one, you can write these down if you like. Pentecostals not only believe that miracles can happen, praise God for that, they expect them to happen. Cessationists believe this. They're Christians who believe that miracles happen until the word of God was given and canonized. When the canon of, of the Bible was established, 
No longer did you need to have miracles attest to its truthfulness. And men like Luther said that the word of God is over the miraculous, therefore you don't need the miraculous. It was the elevation of the word of God. And I don't fault them for elevating the word of God. What I fault them for is, well, don't leave behind the supernatural. Cessationists believe that God could do anything he wanted to do, but he doesn't. We're in, they might be a dispensationalist. So we, we're in a time where there are not creative miracles. They're, they're called uh, cessationists. Miracles have ceased. And then there's an ever-growing group of Christians that are called uh, continuists, which believe that miracles have continued since Acts chapter 1 and 2. And you can have guys like John Piper. Is his name John? John Piper, he's a continuist. Uh, Tim Keller was a continuist. Probably Billy Graham was a continuist, saying that miracles still happen today. They've continued. They're not frequent, but they still happen today. Pentecostals go beyond that. Not only are we continuous, we're practitioners. Not only can miracles happen, we expect them to happen. When we go to a time of prayer, we're not just throwing up a prayer and say something like, God, if it's your will, do it. Lord, we, here's a promise. We're praying it. Now do it. You said you would do it. When we pray a simple prayer, we act in simple ways. We expect the supernatural to show up. Hey, for those of you that have never prophesied, you're going to have to someday try it. I'm just serious. And when you try it, you're probably not going to have any emotions. But once you get the first two or three words out, God will give you the rest of it. Yeah, sure. Number two, write it down. Pentecostals know how, excuse me, Pentecostals know how to pray prayers, not just say prayers. And I've said this many times when I preach on prayer. Saying prayers is kind of the table grace prayer. Father, we thank you today that you're with us in the church service. And, and we just ask during the church service, you be with the Sunday school teachers, ushers and greeters. Uh, bring down hell on those that arrive more than 10 minutes late. You know what I'm saying? Uh, thank you. We call that conversational prayer. Conversational prayer has its place. But when you're casting out a demon or raising the dead or, or praying for healing, that doesn't cut it. Jesus didn't say, hey, oh, Lazarus, buddy, come on out of there. The Bible says he, had, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. We pray prayers. I, within 10 minutes, not 10, within 30 minutes of praying with somebody, I can tell if they're, if they're a person that knows how to pray beyond just table kinds of prayers. That's not a judgment. It's not a, somebody say, well, Dan, how do you learn how to pray? <clears throat> By praying. Stop reading books. Stop watching videos. Stop it. Pray. You learn to pray in the shower, in the car, at a prayer meeting. You learn to pray by listening to Melvin pray. You are shaped by hearing others pray. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I had three people pray for me. 
on the day of the diagnosis. I went to Joanne Picataghi, Dennis Jones, and Kevin Turpin. I went to their homes. I didn't care how many letters they had behind their name. I didn't care if they could read Greek or knew all the hip church growth techniques. I wanted somebody who was a bit Pentecostal that I know when they go to prayer, it's not just that actually know the healing verses by heart and could stand in the place of prayer and declare it. Now somebody say, well, that's not really my style. Make it your style. When you have a family member on, on their deathbed or they're in an accident or they're in trouble, that's not the time to learn to pray. I remember talking to somebody on the phone, you know, it was probably 10 years ago, family member who said that he was going through a divorce. And I said, I said, so-and-so, the first thing you need, he's a Christian, first thing you need to do is to pray. And he says, I don't know, pray what? I said, well, you, you, you know, pray for the marriage. Like, what do I say? Like, like what? This dude doesn't know how to pray. You know, there's nothing about binding and loosening and blessing and taking authority over spirits and praying for grace and mercy and open doors and witnesses and power encounters and dreams and, and consciences and hardness of heart. And he doesn't know any of that stuff. I go, well, brother, I, I, can, I can pray with you on the phone. There's a demonized man that, in our little town of Spearfish that was kicked out of a car on the Lutheran church's lawn. We had four Lutheran churches in our town. It wasn't my brand. I was Missouri Synod. It was another brand of Lutheran. I knew the guy because I ran the ministerial association. I knew the pastor. He called me on the phone. And he said, I never took counseling at seminary. So I, I don't know how, he said, I think this guy might even have a demon. Now, I'm not exaggerating this one bit. This truly happened, 100% of what I'm telling you. And I said, well, just take authority and cast the demon out. He says, I, I don't know how to do that. I said, well, uh, you know, I understand that. I said, I gave him some words to say, and he chickened out. It was so out of his worldview where counseling was the answer to everything that he didn't even know how to get started. I said, oh, give me some Pentecostals. We may go overboard. And we may pray a bit too long. I may back up. Some of y'all do pray too long. <laughs> I'm serious. Five minutes, Melvin, right? Five minutes Step back in line. You get a second five minutes after one or two people get in there and pray. Pentecostals pray prayers. When I got these people to pray for me, I'm sure glad that they took authority. Now, did they shout and scream and run around the prayer, the, their house? No. They just took the word of God and they said, in Jesus' name I speak to this disease and I command it to leave this body. The word of God says that God desires that you be in health and prosper even as your soul does prosper. And every curse, I, and you know, and I just felt life. 
There was a guy named Hugh Smith years ago who was a traveling evangelist. This would have been about 1976, 77, somewhere in there. No, 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 no. We're like 1980, and he had a little plane, and he'd travel around the Midwest preaching, Word of Faith guy. I was in the Word of Faith movement at that time. I'm no longer in that movement, although I'm thankful for it. And uh, he flied into, into our town to do a little Bible study. Nice guy. He shared a story where about six months before, he's flying someplace, and to start his little plane, he had, you know how you got to take the propeller and you got to flip it so it'll fire the pistons to get them going, you know? And it kind of backfired, and it kicked the propeller up and whacked him in the nose and cut his nose off and laid it. The skin was still on over here, and it laid his nose over like that. And he said, I'm just bleeding like mad. I'm on the tarmac, and everybody's running around with their head chopped off. we got to get an ambulance. got to get a doctor. And he said, my wife, who's traveling with me, she makes her way through all the people and all the blood and all the screaming and ranting and raving. She said she laid her hand on my face and started praying in tongues. I'm thankful I'm a Pentecostal that has a prayer language. And she, he said, I just felt the peace of God. I wasn't afraid. I had somebody at my side who knew how to pray. You know, if you're married today to a praying woman, count your blessings. If you're married to a man who knows how to pray, count your blessings. When I was so afraid that I was going to die, I'll share it again. I'm laying in bed and I'm rigid out of fear. My wife had had it with my fear. She rolls up on top of me, puts her face on my face, her hands on my hands, her feet on my... She's right on top of me and she says, You shall live and not die! Now shut up and go to sleep! Or you are going to end quickly! Oh, I just love a woman who can pray. We pray prayers. So Hugh Smith's wife's praying for him. And when he came to our place, his, 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 they put his nose back, you know, the doctors did. And they sutured him up and it, it looked fantastic. The nose was upside down. So in the rain, it was kind of a pain. But other than that, it looked perfect. Everything until that last part was true. <laughs> Pentecostals, you see, we preach Christus Victor. That's our, one of the significant understandings of the atonement, which offers a life of real victory over sin, the world, and the devil. Pentecostals love songs like this. <clears throat> There's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We like songs like that. There's victory Pastor Kevin will break into, I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. We like to sing about beating the devil, overcoming temptation, deliverance from addictions, healing from diseases. We believe in victory over the world. We believe that Christ really dis did disarm the powers that, so they no longer triumph over us. Colossians chapter 2. We believe in practical victory over our bodies, our families, our finances, our futures, over nations. 
Other ways of looking at life is just hold on. Are you suffering? Give God glory. Something terrible is happening? Just buck it up and know that God has a plan you shall never understand. I'm not in that camp. Does God have plans I don't understand? Of course he does. Should I give thanks in all situations? Yes, I should. But I want to be with a group of people that says, we're not going down without a fight. I'm not letting this divorce happen just by talking to a counselor. I'm going into a prayer closet. I'm not going to let this doctor's, I'm going to let the doctor have the last word. I'm not going to let the prodigal go out there and spoil their life. I'm going to pray heads of protection around him. I'm a Pentecostal. My wife, she's, Pente she's raised Assemblies of God. And she is into oil. She oils the top of doors. She oils the door handles. She oils the steering wheel. She oils me. She's an oil queen, and her whole family's got a big joke about it. My wife in oil. She's a Pentecostal. I go, all right, all right. Don't be a Pentecostal who's been put in a box. Full orb, full Bible, full experience. God's to be experienced. The Holy Spirit is real. There's a dimension you cannot see. And not everything has a natural cause and effect. If a baby's crying all night long, they may be colicky and there may be something else going on. Why not take authority over that spirit and get them to the pediatrician? Pentecostals thoroughly enjoy wholehearted worship. I know that's self-evident. For a Pentecostal, worship is a secondary to our faith. It's not optional. We love to worship. You see, we see worship as a gift from God to us. It is therapeutic to my mind, my emotions, and my physical health. It is a gift to get you out of the doldrums. It is a gift to soften hearts. It is a gift to cause optimism to replace pessimism. You sing your way into victory. You come before his presence with what? Reading? No. You come before his presence with talking? No. You come before his presence, the Bible says, with singing. Somebody says, well, that's not my style. Make it your style. Now, now, you don't have to be me. You can be you. And I say, well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't like raising my hands. Why? The Bible says you're supposed to. In the New Testament, if you're a man, you're commanded to raise your hands. It is a command. It's not an option. Hey, I take PET scans because of this, I'm fighting cancer, and i got to put my hands over my head to go through that little PET scan machine. Like this, for 20 minutes. I'm going to sit like this. I have a little bit of claustrophobia. So when I'm in that thing, I'm praying in tongues. Two seconds have gone by. Well, I'm sticking my hands over my head 
because I'm going through a PET scan. The doctor says, if you don't put your hands over your head, I can't get a good reading of your chest. Well, in worship, unless you get your hands up, God's not going to get a good reading on your heart. The doctor says, get up your hands. Get up your hands. And he said, well, I don't like putting up my hands. We'll just start down here. And then when all everybody's eyes are closed, go like this. Well, some might say, well, what about dancing? Well, that's in the Bible. I used to dance a lot. I don't dance as much anymore. So I went, last 15 years, I do the running thing. And I just run to the music, you know. And then you get a little older, you say, this running is really tiring. So you keep your feet planted, you go like this. It's the skiing way. You're going down the slope, you know, but you're not going to move these things. It's just too much work. Pentecostals, get your body in gear. People can think they're praise. That's all right for them. I'm not them. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a wholehearted. I get excited in the worship. I, get, I cry in the worship. I laugh in the worship. One song, I got my hands up. Next song, I got my face in the carpet. Third song, I'm dancing before the Lord. Say, so, well, that's not my style. Well, okay, okay. I don't know how to argue with you, dude. You might say my style is not to pray. Well, okay. You, you, you tear, out, tear the pages out of your Bible. Tear, take the book of Psalms and rip it out of there. Why don't you make a prayer like this? Lord, help me. Help me to be wholehearted in my worship. And you can be the most dignified person in the room and still have wholehearted worship. You can have pearls down to here. You can have a fine dress on. You know, and you can be fully engaged in worship. The most attractive person in the room, ladies, is the woman who knows how to worship God. Number five, Pentecostals are committed to walking in true holiness. This is the roots of Pentecostalism, is the holiness movement. We're not talking about wearing long dresses and stuff like that. We're not talking about wearing makeup. Listen, if you're on a one to ten, ladies, if you are a three, two, or a one, wear makeup. If you're a four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, ten, you don't need to wear makeup. Just telling you, just... Helps, it just helps you so much. I'm Pentecostal. I didn't even think about that till just now. The Lord says, go for it. If you don't like that joke, take it up with God. <laughs> no, we're not into stuff like that, playing cards and movies that the early Pentecostals were against. But I do appreciate my forefathers. When the Bible says, come out and be separate from the world, it meant something. If I'm dressing like the world, going to R-rated stuff like the world, drinking like the world, competing like the world, if I'm looking for money in every way I can, what's the difference, dude, between you and the world? Come out means I'm modest and I'm humble and I don't have to put up a glamour shot every 48 hours on my Facebook post. This is how I look here. This is how I look here. This is how I look here. 
And what makes it worse, I follow those people. I mean, that's a pretty good shot. Oh, I like that. That's pretty nice. Serious, right? It says, be, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. True holiness from the inside out. Whatever happened to holiness? I'll tell you what happened to holiness is this. Everybody is afraid of this sentence. Don't judge me. It's like that is the most important concept on the planet. Even if what you do is contrary to this, you can't point it out because you're judging. Do you know what the Bible says about fornicators? They shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Now, I'm not judging, but I'm a preacher. He gave me this to preach. And yet, yet you know, somebody can be sleeping with somebody and, oh, they'll come around. And it's okay. And, you know, it's all right. They love each other. And you're going... It's not okay. You remember when R.V. Wade, Roe versus Wade, was overturned by the Supreme Court about a year ago. We've been praying and marching, pleading with God. I didn't see any pastors post. Everybody's dead quiet because it wasn't woke. They'll, they'll do, they'll, They'll comment on every other social justice thing. But when it came to R.V. Wade, they were just like, don't want to touch that because that's so controversial. I'm going, come on, where, where, where are you all at? Public Radio lamented the other day that because of the reversal of our Roe versus Wade that... Um, there are 244,000 babies that were not aborted and were given full term birth. And they lamented. They lamented. They lamented. They lamented. As a Pentecostal, we go, that's not right. That's not right. I know we'd be old fashioned, you could say we have old fashioned values, but we, we try to contextualize eternal values. Life, sexual ethics, healthy marriages, not stealing, not lying, honoring parents. We need more preaching on holiness. I'm talking about grace-based holiness. It starts in the heart and moves its way out. Pentecostals are global, number six, three to go. Pentecostals are global in their scope of ministry and influence. The latest statistics say there are 644 million Pentecostal charismatics in the world today. And through the Pentecostal charismatic movement, there are 35,000 salvations a day in the world. Pentecostals by far are more evangelistic globally than any other denominations. You can take a large denomination like the one I was raised in. They may have 25 full-time missionaries in the field, the whole denomination. We have 25 from one little church here. Because we believe people are going to hell. Sorry. 
And we have the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to go into all the world. Early Pentecostals, they were foolish for God in ways we don't need to be. Did you know that the earliest ones thought when they got their prayer language that it was a foreign language? So they would get on a boat to some remote country, thinking that when they got off the boat that they could start praying in tongues and it was a language people could understand. So they never went to language school. Well, that didn't work. But I do appreciate they, they were going to risk it and they were going to go for it. What we're doing is global. And Pentecostals are, are less nationalistic than other streams. When you run into a full gospel person from another nation, it's like your brother or sister. And you worship next to them, you pray with them, you go like, your skin may be different than mine, you may be from a different nation, but there is something about you and there's something about this group. And what it is, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. We don't put nation first, we put kingdom first. That's what Pentecostals do. That's why most countries, when they crack down on Christians, and a lot of countries have cracked down, they start with the Pentecostals. Because they're the most dangerous. Because they don't give allegiance to governments easily. They're kind of a global movement. These are the radical Christians. Let's get those guys persecuted first. Get them under control. We'll handle the other kinds later. I'm thankful. I got a little Pentecostal in me. Number seven, Pentecostals believe in the absolute unrivaled authority of Scripture. I, 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 this hardly has to be said, but I do, I do like a, a Pentecostal person's Bible. <laughs> it's generally marked up. Why is it marked up? God talked to me here. God talked to me here. Oh, I was reading this verse. Oh, yeah. Whoopsie. Reading this verse. Oh, this is what it means. It's, it's this ongoing dialogue with the Holy Ghost in your Bible. Pentecostals have got the marked up Bibles. Pentecostals are the ones that get their Bibles rebound because their Bibles are their best friends. They believe in the Word of God. Now sometimes they can be too literal. I believe in the critical, the historical critical method of interpretation which you have to learn context. We don't wear head coverings in New Life because that was contextual. But we do believe in submission and honoring authority which is what was in view there. We take it literal you take it literal until there's a contradiction that cannot be resolved. Because we know there is symbols, there's poetry, there's other things in the Bible. But if the Bible says X and our culture says Y, we go with X. And with all this sexual stuff that's in our world today, if you stand with the Bible, you're going to be an outcast. It leads me to the last one here. Pentecostals are not afraid, however, to suffer for what they believe. Pentecostals, early 1900s, couldn't find a place to worship. The greatest adversaries was the organized church. You might be lucky to get a warehouse on the other side of the tracks. You always consider the ignorant ones. Then Pentecostalism began to mature a little bit. 
but you're still considered an oddball if you believe in things like divine healing, prophecy that's predictive, words of knowledge that give direction, suffer for what they believe. Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, new Speaker of the House, on MSNBC, they did this little piece on him where they somehow discovered that he's on covenant eyes with his son, his adult son. So if you're not familiar with covenant eyes, it's a computer program that every website you look at, you have a partner who gets a list of them. And that partner, you can get a list of his or hers. So you keep each other's uh, viewing habits uh, accountable and helps guys fight porn because you can't view it without somebody knowing you're viewing it. Well, they found out that the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, was uh, he's, he, his covenantized partner is his adult son. Oh, they had a good laugh. Oh, he is so backward. He's so old school. He's not qualified to be in the House of Representatives. Whether you agree with his politics or not, that's not my point of my illustration. My point is, there's a godly man trying to live in holiness, gets outed by an unbelieving world, and he's mocked for it. You want to be mocked today? Well, be a young man who's who's 25 was still a virgin. I gave my, both my sons promise rings when they were 14 at a blessing services. The boys are two and a half years apart. And um, they presented their promise rings to their wives on their wedding day. I didn't know about this until just a couple of years ago which basically said, we waited. I waited for you. And they were 26 or 7 or when they got married. The world thinks that's funny. As a father, I'm going, thank you. I'm a bit Pentecostal. I believe that we can resist temptation. Christus Victor. I believe Jesus is worthy of our best efforts in holiness. Pentecostals don't care what the world thinks. We're more about worship and prayer and evangelism and reading and loving our Bible and being spirit-shaped, spirit-formed, and spirit-filled. Our last verse says, as I close this out today, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Heavenly Father, as we close today's message, I pray that we at New Life would never be so hip, so sophisticated, so relevant, so brilliant that we crowd out the spirit of Pentecost. Fire of God, fall on this church again. May we be a worshiping church, a praying church, a grace-based church, a church that takes holiness seriously, a church, Lord, that's called to the nations, a church that never grieves you. 
never grieves you. That you'd come back, Jesus, and say, well done, good and faithful servants. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.